Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Broncos and Bratwurst Podcast. I'm Kevin Gilligan, broadcasting from just outside Munich, Germany, in the cow pastures of Schmidham, Germany. You can look it up. Google it. Uh, maybe you'll find my little flat here in among the cow pastures. Uh, of course, we always talk Broncos. Every now and then we talk a little bit of Bratwurst. I'll be joined later on by the skipper dude who will give us, as always, his great in, uh, his great takes on the Broncos and the NFL. Of course, we're covering the Broncos' third preseason game in the second preseason week. Of course, they already played two games, including the Hall of Fame game against Atlanta a few weeks ago. And what do we think? What's our reaction in general from this game? Now, of course, it's the second preseason game, really. And so we didn't see a lot from the starters. You know, we saw maybe, uh, I think... A couple, we saw two, three drives from Joe Flacco, about a quarter play. The defense, starting defense, was out there for a bit. Um, there were several guys that didn't play um, on the defense. Uh, Sua Cravens, uh, Callahan didn't play, uh, and others. But there was a great showing from a couple guys who really showed up on defense. A defense that I think is going to be absolutely special. So in general... And I literally just watched this game. So I, I just woke up at about 7 o'clock and watched it with while drinking my coffee. So I have really seen no reactions from anyone else. My opinions on this game are purely mine. Okay, I know not everyone agrees with them. I know people sometimes poo-poo my thoughts on, on what I see on the field. This is, this is coming right after watching the game. This is like a, an after-game, post-game review. So I haven't really studied the film 
I'm going into this hot. And I liked mostly what I saw. I know that in the end, the score didn't didn't look good and the Broncos lost. But the first half was really solid. Uh, the Broncos led 9-3. The offense wasn't great, but they scored points. Um, you know, they had a couple red zone failures from, from both Joe Flacco and Drew Locke. But in general, the offense looked solid. I think the passing game looked the best it's looked uh, in the preseason. Everyone knows who listens to this show that I've been really, really critical of the Denver Broncos wide receivers and really their passing game in general. And I thought it actually looked it looked quite good today. I, I thought that the the um, the O-line gave Flacco and Drew Locke some time. Now, the second string O-line didn't, but the first string did. I thought they looked pretty good. They gave some some decent pockets. I thought Joe Flacco looked he looked good. I thought he looked the best I've seen him all year. He looked comfortable. He looked like he was he was confident in making the right decisions. He even moved a bit around in the pocket, made a nice play, avoiding a sack, and then uh, completing a first down. Uh, nice throw to Emmanuel Sanders that was unfortunately um, called back on a holding penalty by guess who Garrett Bowles um and you know there's there's not a whole lot to critique I think of the of this starting offense uh, unfortunately Fant was a little banged up Drew Locke was a little banged up but I think both injuries are not considered serious that's the biggest takeaway from this game as a positive is that as far as I've seen so far this morning there were not many major injuries. I think I saw Joel Deneen, a rookie. I think he broke his hand. That's obviously a, a bummer, um, but not a guy who is really going to contribute, at least not even remotely as a starter this this season. So the inside linebacker position gets gets weaker and weaker, but of course we hope that Josie Jewell and Todd Davis will be back by week one, hopefully even sooner than that, so that they can get some reps with this starting defense. So that's a big major plus, obviously, that in general they stayed healthy. A couple of guys looked really good. Um, I thought Emmanuel Sanders, and we're going to go over in the next segment our likes and dislikes. I thought Emmanuel Sanders looked great. I mean, what a story. I know everyone's talking about it, and deservedly so. That dude deserves an award. I mean, seriously, before he even plays, I was I was a little suspect. I didn't really want to praise him too much until I saw him in-game action. And now I've seen him in-game action. The dude looks quicker than ever. He looks ready to go after eight months after a serious injury. I mean, that is total, total respect, total unbelievable props to this dude for the hard work he must have put in to be ready by by preseason, you know, week week two. That that's it's it's incredible. I mean, the, the dude must have worked his butt off. So total props to Emmanuel Sanders. He's going to be a game changer. They have to have Emmanuel Sanders. If Sanders gets hurt, they're done. I mean that. I I, I think I I really after this game, I think Emmanuel Sanders is the most important piece on this offense. Period. Period. I think he's more important than Joe Flacco. Now, yeah, Joe Flacco looks better than Drew Locke, but Emmanuel Sanders looks so much better than the rest of the receivers, and he is going to free up the other receivers. He's going to become your number one guy who's still going to get open. He he is a game changer on offense still, and he he's still getting up there in age, but he gets he seems to get smarter. He runs better routes. He's still as fast as ever. Wow. I mean, and, and hey, if we're talking fantasy, take a peek at Emmanuel Sanders. The dude is going to, he's going to, if he stays healthy, He's going to have a year. He is balling, and he he's ready for a new contract. And in my opinion, if he plays like he did today, give him a lifetime contract, okay? The dude, I mean, he deserves it. 
He deserves it. Cannot say it enough. Um, and as critical as I've been of the wide receivers, I thought they looked better, mostly because of Emmanuel Sanders. You know, I think Sutton had a, had a couple catches, you know, a decent, he looked decent, you know, Patrick had two catches, um, each of them, you know, not big, but, you know, I think maybe two catches for 20 yards or something, something in that range. So nothing special, but at least they're, they're showing that they can get open and that's primary, primarily because Emmanuel Sanders is on the field. Now, Noah Faint looked at, looked a little banged up. I thought when I, I watched a few of his routes, I thought he looked smoother in, in running. Maybe again, like the coaches have said, he's, he's not thinking so much about football anymore. He's just he's just playing. He's reacting. He understands the offense more. And and I do want to say about Noah Fant, and I know I got a lot of crap about this last week that I said I thought he looked out of shape. And I think that was that was a bad take on my part, literally just from using the wrong words. When I said out of shape, I think a lot of people took me for saying that that means he's lazy. That means he didn't work hard enough. And 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 that that is that's that's my fault. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said he looked out of shape. I meant really, my point was he looked slow. He looked like he wasn't getting it. He wasn't there yet. He wasn't quite running his full speed as I've seen him run, you know, in in, in college. Um, but I didn't mean to say that the dude's lazy and didn't show up in shape. I mean, I, I can't imagine that either. I mean, he he looks like an absolute athletic freak, and I'm sure it's more mental than it is physical. So I apologize to Noah Fant for any slight that, that seemed to come from last week's episode. I thought he looked better this week. He didn't really do a whole lot in the in the passing game, but he looked he looked smoother, and I think that's something that everyone wants to see. And I really do think that as the season goes along, he'll get it more and more. He's going to understand it better. And they're going to start using him more in the passing game, and you're going to see him more on those on those you know the bootlegs and the play actions. He's going to be a big target in the end zone. I think he's going to have a good year. I'm still really high on Noah Fant, and especially as he's he really continues to progress through the preseason. We got to remember there are two more weeks of the preseason, two more weeks. <laughs> there are two more games coming up. I mean that's that is uh, it feels like the longest preseason ever mainly because we had, you know, that extra game, the Hall of Fame game to start things off. And now I think that's a really good thing. It gets frustrating because we want to see real football that really matters. We want to see our starting guys out there, but this team really needs it. Boy, do they need the extra practice because they've got the new coaching staff, they got the new schemes, they got a new quarterback, etc. They got a lot of young guys who really need the reps. And so I think it's awesome that they get an extra game. The main thing is they got to stay healthy. And so far, it's been okay. You know, they haven't had any tragic injuries and, and knock on wood that that continues for the rest of camp and for the rest of the preseason. Um, what else that jumped out to me? I mean, really the thing that jumped out to me is the defense. The starting defense looked absolutely bonkers, killer, crazy good. Crazy good. And again, that was without several of their big time players. And they're going to be... Guys, this defense is going to be something special. I, I'm, I'm talking number one defense in the league type defense. I I actually am a big believer in the San Francisco team. I like them even to make the playoffs this year. Um, maybe that's a little extreme, but I like them a lot. I think they're well coached. I think they've got some, some skill players that are really quite good. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I like <laughs> or liked. Honestly, I don't know if I've, I've seen much of a worse preseason game than he just had, or, you know, a first quarter, he played one quarter, and it was bad, guys, it was bad, if we think, 
as as Broncos fans right now, our biggest worry after that game is, ugh, the depth is bad. You know, the special teams suck. You know, maybe the run blocking's not great. The, the San Francisco 49ers right now, their fans got to be pooping their pants. I mean, first of all, Jimmy Grappolo just, I, what did he, let me let me look at his stats. I've got him ready. He went one for six for zero yards and an interception. One for six, zero yards, one pick, a quarterback rating of zero point zero. He quite literally could not have been worse. Okay, he could have, he did complete one pass. <laughs> so I guess he could technically have been worse. But he had the worst quarterback rating possible. And that's through a quarter. This isn't through one or two drives. He played an entire quarter. And that defense made him look bad. Now, does this mean, you know, Garoppolo is, is, is garbage? I don't think so. I think it's a bit of both that he is really, really shaky. And that this Broncos defense is sick, sick, good. I mean, Shelby Harris, man. I, you know, we're talking about guys who need like a lifelong contract with the Denver Broncos. Emmanuel Sanders has earned it. Shelby Harris is a freaking baller. This guy just shows up. You know, a guy who who fought his way into the league, fought his way to stay in the league, and now the guy's becoming a star. I don't know what changed. I don't know what clicked with Shelby Harris, but he's becoming a monster in the middle. And if he can continue that this year, and if, if Gottes and Wolf can play like they normally do, Guys, it's special, special. That that's the word we got to start using for this defense. They 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 look like a special unit, and I am freaking pumped to see what they can do in the regular season, especially when when they have all their starters in. When Todd Davis is back, Josie Jewell is back. Oh, I'm not kidding. I got goosebumps. I have got goosebumps about this defense. I I am I am rolling high with this defense. I mean. We, we got to start, you know, printing T-shirts. We got to get a nickname for this defense. It's not the no-fly zone, but I don't know. Maybe the 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 Mad Mafia or something. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Someone, someone. We, we got to do some poll or something for the for a nickname for this defense. I'll have to start thinking about that one. Whew. Anyway, okay, we're gonna talk about uh, later on in the show. We'll talk about what we liked and didn't like, and also some news from around the NFL. As always, there's some great drama coming out of Oakland. Thank you, Oakland. We love you so much. And Skipper Dude, uh, we'll send him on next. He hasn't sent me a segment yet, so I don't actually really know what it's about. But I think it's about the the underdogs of of camp and preseason that, that have found their way to to become stars and to make the team. Uh, it might be about something else. We'll find out. But Skipper Dude, up next after this quick break. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power. Loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family 
purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks as always for having me on, Kevin. So today's bumper music is a classic from John Bon Jovi, and it goes out to all the Denver Broncos whose futures with the Broncos are currently living on a prayer. I'm talking about guys like Bug Howard and Ryan Crozier, Deshaun Williams and Jamal Carter. But before I get into my main topic today, I do have three quick observations on Monday's game against the 49ers. First of all, I'm not a guy who cries a lot. Occasional tears of joy, very rare tears of sorrow. But boy, seeing Dalton Reisner walk out onto the mile-high turf as a Denver Bronco for the first time with his cowboy hat and his million-dollar smile, that darn near did it to me. Okay, so second, I have a little confession to make, Kevin, buddy. About a week, week and a half ago, I took a big swig of the orange and blue Denver Bronco defense Kool-Aid, and now I'm feeling just a little inebriated. I mean, think about for a minute the guys who have absolutely popped in this camp, a couple of them looking almost superhuman. Adam Gotzis, who's looking like the guy Bill Kolar pounded the table for back in 2016. Shelby Harris looks like he has all pro potential. Bradley Chubb looked like a man among boys against the 49ers. And in the secondary, Isaac Yottam and Justin Simmons have looked fantastic. So that's five of your starters right there. Then you add your veteran studs in Von Miller, Chris Harris Jr., and Derek Wolf, And then pretty dependable guys in Todd Davis, if you can use them correctly, plus Bryce Callahan and Kareem Jackson, and then add to that a system that is based on sound fundamentals and that the guys seem to be buying into 100%, and I am just really, really liking this defense. I'm not ready to talk about it in the same breath as the 2015 Bronco defense yet, but there is some serious potential here. All right, so third and finally on Tuesday, a note for the offense. You're not seeing this in the preseason, nor will you in games three or four. But basically, in my mind, every offensive contributor, I don't care if it's Vic Fangio creating high-level strategy or, or Rick Scanning, Joe Flacco reading defenses, John James holding down the right side or Emmanuel Sanders drawing defenders, every contributor, I believe, has one goal above all others, and that is to get Philip Lindsay open in space. Every deception, every check down, every pre-snap read needs to be a play to get Philip Lindsay open in space or else set up another play to get Philip Lindsay open in space. All right? It sounds easy, but it's not. If it was easy, Bill Musgrave would have figured it out. It's extremely difficult, especially when teams start scheming against it. But the AFC East team that shall not be mentioned has raised it to an art form. Rich Gangarello, you can do this. Whatever it takes, Philip Lindsay in space is the Denver Broncos' path to the playoffs. All right, so now on to my main discussion, and that's namely our current Denver Broncos who are halfway there, to getting cut, that is, and probably also are living on a prayer. We need to keep in mind that these guys are among the 3,000 or so best football players on the entire planet. And they've put their hearts and souls into making the Broncos 53-man final roster or at least the 10-man practice squad. But the NFL is such a numbers game. If you figure that going into camp, about 40 roster spots are guaranteed, injuries notwithstanding, that leaves 50 guys fighting for only 13 spots. It's truly brutal when you think of these guys' odds of making the final 53. But the beauty of this time of year is that guys do live on a prayer during camp and many years, those player, those prayers are answered and diamonds in the rough get discovered, be, be it Rod Smith or Terrell Davis or Chris Harris Jr. 
or most recently, Philip Lindsay. Okay, so today I wanted to talk about the extremely fine art of striking gold with late round picks and undrafted free agents, and perhaps even more importantly, being able to distinguish these gold nuggets from the fool's cold of, of camp phenoms. Okay, so if you look back at just last year, Jeff Holland made a huge splash during training camp, but he got cut. Now, Broncos country right after he got cut was in an uproar. There's no way he'll make it through waivers, the fans said. As it turned out, of course, he did make it through waivers and did play in several games, but really didn't make a huge impact. This year, Holland was back at camp and appeared to be getting squeezed out by undrafted free agent Malik Reed. So the Broncos cut him loose early, which I, I typically take as a classy move that would allow him to catch on somewhere else. And sure enough, Holland did, signing in Arizona with old friend Vance Joseph. That, that transaction kind of looked to me like John Elway doing VJ a solid. But looking at it in retrospect, the fury over Holland being cut at the end of last camp, like camp last year was really not much ado about nothing. And then you look back to 2017, and the story of that camp was Kyle Sloter, another guy the Broncos cut and who kind of stung the Broncos by signing with the, the Vikings practice squad. If you follow if you follow that story on Mile High Report, you probably remember it being the discussion among fans at the end of camp. And many fans just couldn't forgive fans Joseph and Mike McCoy for letting Sloter go. But here it is three seasons later, and Sloter is fighting with Sean, Sean Mannion for the Vikings' backup quarterback role. He hasn't exactly been a world beater. So there are two questions I want to look at today. Number one, why is it so often that these big camp phenoms who give every indication that they can contribute at the NFL level just don't pan out? And number two, how do you tell the difference between a Jeff Holland and a guy who does pan out like a Shaq Barrett? Or the difference between a fool's gold guy like Zach Dysart or Chad Kelly versus solid gold like Tom Brady? So on the first question, I think the answer is relatively simple. Let's take a look at Von Miller for a minute because he's probably the quintessential example of true gold. And he's obviously also a uh, number two overall pick, so he's not a late-round guy or undrafted free agent. Now, Vaughn is going to conserve his energy during camp, and he's going to spin it in what he sees as the optimal way for the Broncos overall. He's going to give a nice effort in training camp, make no mistake. And I know he trains hard, but, but he's basically playing in first gear. And so he'll have a higher gear for the regular season, another gear for the fourth quarter of a tight regular season game, another gear for the playoffs, and then yet another gear for the Super Bowl, just ask Cam Newton. It's the way your best players work. But if you're a guy like Jeff Holland or, or even potentially a Malik Reed, you can't conserve energy that way. Every day is a playoff game for you. And preseason games, especially games two and four, they're your Super Bowls. You need to lay out every ounce of your strength, leave 100% of yourself out on the field in those preseason games just to make the team. Okay, so, so the, for the full, fool's gold guys like Kyle Sloter or Zach Dysart, or for, for your old timers, you might remember the name Bradley Van Pelt. They show big in the preseason and they light Bronco country on fire during camp. 
But it very often happens that when you're watching them shred third-teamers during preseason games, it's literally the best their talent has to offer. They are playing at 100% of their capacity in those preseason games. So you put them in a regular season game situation, and a guy like Von Miller raises his game just into second gear, and these fool's gold guys have already given you their fifth or sixth or whatever their top gear is. They don't have anything more to give. And it's truly nothing against these guys. They're not like they're phonies or frauds or anything. It's just that they've maxed out during the preseason, and that's the best you're going to get from them. So then, how do you tell the difference between the solid gold and the fool's gold guys? Do you remember the name Lorenzo Doss? Okay, back in 2017, he was intercepting pretty much everything that moved during training camp. I'd even venture to guess that he had a better camp than Chris Harris Jr. did back in 2011. But he he never really matured as a cornerback, and Chris Harris Jr., of course, became one of the best corner slots in the NFL's ever known. So to be able to know the difference between solid gold and fool's gold is a considerably complex question. But it's also the kind of question that can very easily make or break NFL franchises over the course of time. And to be sure, I can speculate on the all the variables, right? Did the guy's college game film suggest that he has this big training camp in him? How smooth are his movements? Were, were his big plays in camp fluky or real? How well does he fit with the scheme? How coachable is he? How, how does he learn from his mistakes? There are probably dozens of questions you could ask to help separate the wheat from the chaff. But when it comes right down to it, that distinction, that gut instinct to hold tight to your young gold nuggets and to cut loose your fool's gold... That's why guys like John Elway and Vic Fangio and Rick Scangarello and Ed Tonitel and the line coaches, the entire front office, get paid the big money. Not just to identify that untapped talent, but also to develop it up. Now, I know for me, I had a decent regard last year for VJ's ability to evaluate talent. It was supposed to be his best attribute. He did seem to be fairly good at it, at least judging by the 2018 draft class and the input he may or may not have had on it. But I know I had no regard whatsoever for the abilities of Bill Musgrave or Joe Woods to be able to find these young gold nuggets, these diamonds in the rough, and then develop them properly. Uh, Philip Lindsay, uh, obviously, aside. I have a lot more confidence in this new coaching regime, and so I know we're a couple weeks away from cut-down day, but if they make some surprise cuts like Brett Rippon or River Craycraft or Trey Marshall or, or keep some guys we hadn't expected them to keep, I'm fully ready to roll with them and not waste a ton of time second-guessing those decisions. Great teams are not typically the product of a single huge personnel decision. Tom Brady in New England and Peyton Manning both in India and Indianapolis and here in Denver are very, very rare that way. Great teams are more often the product of lots and lots and lots of successful little decisions. And the decisions on your 51st and 52nd and 53rd players and the practice squad can be some of the most important decisions a team makes. It's decisions like holding on to guys who aren't contributing much, a guy like Isaac Yottam, and then watching them blossom in their second or third year or whatnot. Those are the little decisions that make teams great. The the Broncos are still suffering for some win-now years with Peyton Manning, as well as some overall poor drafts from 2013 to 2017. And so many of these little decisions, when you combine them with some poor coaching and a ton of coaching turnover, have left the Broncos with some subpar talent. But I think we're making up ground fast, and we'll see the fruits of that here in a couple of weeks. Kevin, back to you. 
Thanks as always to the Skipper Dude. Good stuff there. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I want to talk about the what I like and didn't like from the game. Um, there was a lot to like, I think. Again, the score didn't look great. You know, there's there's some people complaining about this and that. But in general, I thought it was a really impressive game overall, especially the first half, and that's all that matters. Come on. That's all that matters. Yes, there is a depth issue, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, first, I want to go over the three things that I liked. What did I like from this game? Again, this is a reminder. I've watched this game once. This is kind of a hot take, but I think everyone will probably agree with the three things I like. Number one, Emmanuel Sanders. I know I said it before. I'm I'm so pumped about him. I was so worried about this wide receiver core, but with him in it, it's immediately boosted. It's immediately an okay wide receiver core. Maybe even possibly, possibly a good wide receiver core. And if he can, if he can ball out, I mean, heck, get a thousand yard receiving. Man, I mean, I, I might just name my my first son Emmanuel. I'm not sure my wife would approve, but I'll, I'll push for it because this guy, this guy is something special. And he looked good. You know, the stats don't really show up. He had the the 19 yard run on the end of round. He had a 45-yard reception that was called back. He had another reception that I thought he caught on the sideline. Um, you could tell that he has a good rapport with Joe Flacco. They look comfortable with each other. He's running great routes. He looks smooth. What can I say? I mean, again, Emmanuel Sanders special and is going to be the game changer on this offense and take a flyer on him in fantasy football. Don't let someone else pick him up. The dude, he could have a great year. Great. Now, my number two that I really loved, as again, I talked about a little bit, was Shelby Harris, um, Bradley Chubb, and the starting defense, which again was missing several key players um, just because they they didn't, you know, they were resting because of, I don't know, minor injuries or just to save them. Um, Shelby Harris and Chubb, they look special. These guys look, they look like all pro type players in this game. Bradley Chubb, Every time I turn on the the computer or my phone or go to Twitter or Facebook or whatever, I hear praise of Bradley Chubb everywhere. And this is from Von Miller. It's from his coaches. It's from his teammates. It's from other teams. It's from the national media. People are starting to pick up. This guy is something else. And and to put him alongside Von Miller, they're going to have a, a, a pass rush that's maybe as good as when DeMarcus Ware was in his prime here or in, at the end of his prime with the Broncos. And when you have that and you have a good or even really good secondary, like like that pick we saw that, that Isaac Yadam had, and it, that was really mostly from Chubb. Yadam made a good play. He had really tight, good coverage. And honestly, Garoppolo, had a, that was a totally crappy throw. It's something that a veteran should not make that throw. But still, I mean, that was caused by Chubb. And if this defense can do that, if they can create pressure on the sides and up the middle with Shelby Harris and Gotsis, who both looked really good in the preseason, and obviously with Chubb and Miller, who are special, again, th- this defense, they could be the number one defense. I mean, Fangio has the brains, he has the schemes to work with with talent that looks even better than I thought. I mean, Justin Simmons, I think, has six interceptions through through camp. I don't think he has any in preseason, but he hasn't played that much. He, he has turned into a ball hawk. Chris Harris Jr. is, he's Chris Harris Jr. I mean, he's one of the top cornerbacks in football. You know, Bryce Callahan, he's gotten rave reviews out of camp as well. Isaac Yadam showed up. Bosby should have had a pick six off again of Garoppolo, who got really lucky. So watch out for this defense. Again, I know I'm repeating myself, but 
it, it everything looked good. I mean, I mean that the run defense gave up a couple eh, plays. I thought that you you were lacking the 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 inside linebacker play really. The guys that have that nose for for clogging up holes. I think that that hopefully again Todd Davis and Josie Jewell are going to bring that back. I'm not worried about that. I think that's what they do best. I'm more worried, of course, about the the covering of the tight ends, which was not a problem in this game. But of course, George Kittle did not play. So. You know, San Francisco was missing a lot of their key players as well. But when our defense can make their quote-unquote star quarterback look like a goof, look like a fourth-string quarterback, you're doing something right. I mean, really, I I bet you John Elway, he may have called his good friend John Lynch, the GM over at San Francisco, and apologized and said, sorry, bro, (laughs) we didn't mean to make you look that bad because that was ugly. That was... That was ugly. I mean, San Francisco right now. I, I I'll have to go over after after I record to the San Francisco SB Nation um, blog and see what their fans think and what their reaction is to this game because it's got to be ugly. It's got to be ugly. They they've got to be worried. Yeah, great. They won. They had some nice runs in the second half. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. All that matters was that first quarter was completely and utterly dominated by the Denver Broncos defense. Okay, number three, what I like. I, I just like it so much. I'm, I'm talking too much. Number three, the the pocket, the O-line, pass protection, and Joe Flacco. Now, yeah, Garrett Bowles had that hold, which was unfortunately old Garrett Bowles, which we hope to never see again. Just a bad hold, just, just not, it looked like bad footwork. And then instead of just trying to push the guy back behind Flacco, he just grabs him and almost takes him to the ground. Just a bad play by Bowles. And and there's no excuse for it. The guy's got to learn. And if not, he's got to go. This is his last year, I think, to really have a chance. And hopefully Mike Munchak can continue. But again, I think that the, the pocket was pretty solid for Flacco and Locke. I thought they, they looked good. I, maybe not great, but they gave their quarterbacks enough time to make some passes. It wasn't always pretty. They gave up a couple, you know, I think blitzes that they didn't quite pick up. But in general, I thought they looked solid. I thought Flacco looked solid. He was 7 for 11 for 59 yards. Um, he let a, a, a nice drive that ended up with a field goal. Um, he looks again more and more comfortable. I think it's a it's a scheme that he understands. He's a smart veteran that, as we start seeing more of the actual offense, he's going to look better. And I, I actually like Joe Flacco more after this game. I like too. You know, I, I want to say this too. I really criticized kind of in a joking manner, which no one understood, that, that I didn't like Joe Flacco's face last week. I don't like, he, he was too calm, too blah, too I don't care. And yeah, maybe it's just his face. And then I heard in camp that uh, the, the, the second day against the, the 49ers in the joint practice, that he was the one who was kind of rowling up the offense, kind of cursing guys out, you know, yelling out some cuss words, whatever. And yeah, okay, maybe it's not family friendly, but that's Awesome. That's that's what I want to see. That's what I criticize. This guy's got to be the leader. Now it's like when you hear the fight between Sutton and Sanders, you know, earlier in camp, and it sounded like Flacco kind of, you know, put his arm around Sanders and was like, "Come on, bro." But this is the type of thing that Flacco, if he wants to be here a few years, if he wants to be the leader of a good team, he's got to step up and be a at least a bit of a vocal leader. And you just have to have that at quarterback. I, I believe that. you They have to be at least somewhat vocal. You can't just be this mild-mannered Trevor Simeon. 
I, I just don't think it works. At least to some extent, you have to be the leader because you're the most important position. You're the one who makes touches the ball in every play. You're the guy who has to be the vocal leader. And I love to hear, I love to see that Flacco has that fire now, that he's got a bit of that passion back that is going to pump up the rest of his team and that he can be the guy who who takes ownership of this team. That's what I didn't like before. I just thought, you know, his his facial expressions, yeah, I know people are going to give me crap again. I don't even care. I, I, don't, I didn't like that he just seemed kind of blasé. And, and that's in camp and, and even the, the first preseason, um, you know, he had one drive. But I have liked it better. I like I, He seems to be smiling more. I like him on the sideline. He seems to be, you know, mucking it up with guys. That's good. I think it means he's more comfortable. And I think it means, again, he is he is taking ownership of this team. He's saying, hey, look, I'm your quarterback. You're my team. And you can see that. You can see that in body language. Body language means a lot, even if it's just to us. Yeah, we don't see everything that goes on. Of course, maybe he's the greatest teammate when the cameras are on. But we can only judge by what we see. I can only judge by what I see on the cameras. So that's just how that's how this has to go. You know, I just saw an article on CBS the other day that said Josh Rosen has to work on his body language. He doesn't have good body language. You know who else doesn't have good body, body language is Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles makes a mistake and he just like, he like shrugs it off or something. He's just like, oh, you know, oh, shoot. You know, I, I just don't, he doesn't look like he, I don't know. I, I don't want to criticize him too much, but I don't love his body language. And Flacco, I didn't love it earlier but now after this game I liked it I think he had better body language he had better leadership body language and that's awesome that's something we can look forward to and heck maybe he will be here a couple years maybe he will be the quarterback that Drew Locke can be the next Aaron Rodgers to sit a couple years get really really good and become the franchise quarterback that's what we all hope I hope it I hope the Broncos are successful this year I hope they're they're nine and seven ten and six and, and go to the to the playoffs is it likely no it's not. They have the second hardest schedule in the NFL. They have a young team, a new coach. It's not probably going to happen. They're probably going to be seven and nine, eight and eight at best. But that's okay. That that's a step forward, and hopefully it means that you know next year after another good draft, maybe another good free agency, that the Broncos are going to take that next step next year and two years from now. Okay. Um, I do want to go. I'm going to go straight into in this segment. I'll go straight into the what I didn't like, and there wasn't that much I didn't like, honestly. And again. The red zone offense could have been better. They could have scored, but it's preseason. I, I'm just, that's the kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, it could have been better, but I'm, I'm not going to panic about that. Um, I thought, again, I thought the wide receivers looked better. I thought Joe Flacco looked better. I thought the offensive line pass protection looked better. So for me in the preseason, that's what you're looking for. I don't really have any negative for that. Now, my first negative is the run blocking. I thought the run blocking was brutal. I mean, I thought it was bad. I mean, from what I saw, again, one viewing of it, I haven't looked at the tape. I'll, I'll look at Joe Rolls. Joe Joe is going to do a really good um, breakdown of it, no doubt. He's he's kind of the offensive line guru and the the football genius that I'll, I'll watch and see what he says. But for this podcast, I'm just going after what I saw, and it didn't look good. I mean, they were slow to get to screens. They had a couple screen passes that the, the line just didn't, they didn't get there in time. I don't know if it's because the guys aren't athletic enough or if because they didn't understand the play there, there was something really off with several of the screenplays that that there was no one blocking in time when the when the receiver got the ball now maybe that's Joe Flacco maybe he got it too soon to the receiver but but there are a couple like quick screens and when there's a quick screen you got to at least try to get down the field as fast as you can and there was nobody there there was like no blocking this happened two or three times that I saw it was also with the running game it seemed like every time the running back touched the ball there was someone in the backfield like immediately so I, I, my guess 
is that in camp, they've really been focusing on on pass protection because they were really bad last year in the last few years. And that maybe, you know, in the coming weeks that they're going to maybe try to focus a little more on, on run blocking. I don't know. But that did worry me a bit. I'm not panicking. But I didn't love what I saw from the run blocking. They've, they've got to get better. They've got to give at least a little bit of space for Lindsey and Freeman because if they don't have blocks, they're not going to succeed. So that's something I didn't like. Um, the second thing I did not like was the depth. I know, yeah, everyone's saying that. And it's not something that, you know, we should panic about. But it's bad. It's not good. I mean, it, it shows on the even the starting special teams, they don't look good. And they haven't looked good at all. And everyone should realize that the special teams kind of works with the depth. There are some guys there who probably shouldn't be there, which makes me wonder if they're going to have to go, you know, on the free agent, you know, pile at the end after the cuts from other teams and pick up some guys who can be some special team stalwarts because right now they don't have it. They don't have guys who can just make plays on special teams, which shows me their depth is not very good. And I think you see it again. There's, there are guys still fighting for the, the kickoff return spot, the punt return spot, the, the you know sixth receiver spot and you know the tight end position because everyone's injured and and so I think depth is a is a key issue for this team it's a big reason they're not going to be very good I think in 2019 but they're still moving in the right direction I think their starting lineups are are solid they just need to keep building on it you know bring in some more free agents maybe some guys off the trash heap after the cuts and then obviously in the next few drafts but this year it, I think we're going to see it if you see injuries really in any position, they're going to struggle. There's just not much depth. Maybe in the secondary is the one that they can kind of afford it. Maybe secondary and D-line, um, but like linebacker and every position on offense, if you lose one of the key starters, you're done. And that's, I understand, that's that's typically the case. But some teams, you know, you can you can lose a guy and, and kind of fill in, you know, fill in the blanks. But... I don't think that's going to be the case with this team. The third thing I didn't love was the lack of explosive plays. And we've really seen that all preseason. There, there just hasn't been much explosion. Now, Sanders, again, had that 45-yard pass that was called back. That was the one that I thought was was showed us something. And then the Sanders 19-yard run. So Sanders was really the explosive guy. And, and that's why I said, again, he is the most important part of this offense. He seems to be the only guy who can be really that explosive. Sutton has not shown it. Now, yeah, he had a great catch in in, in practice over Richard Sherman. I hope that continues. But, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of, of um, separation. Same, I mean, Tim Patrick had a great one-handed catch in, in practice. But, you know, we just haven't seen enough of these guys to really say they're going to be anything really that good. So hopefully that 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 changes. Hopefully Philip Lindsay gets the chance, you know, with, with some open open space to actually make some plays. But so far... Not so good, um, you know. Freeman, I think in the in the Hall of Fame game had that nice thirty yard run, but other than that, there's been very very little explosive plays, and that is something we should worry about. It's something that you've got to see somebody start stepping up, and it's it's the critique I've had of the wide receivers, and I'll continue to have until someone else steps up that's not named Emmanuel Sanders. So they've got to step up. These guys have got to figure out who's going to be the guy that that can spell Sanders and make a big play every now and then hopefully we will find out Saturday already Saturday it's going to be a very quick turnaround for the third preseason game which is usually typically the dress rehearsal but after such a short week I'll be curious to see who actually plays in the third preseason game for the Denver Broncos but that's we will talk about in an upcoming segment after this quick break 
So before we get talking about next week's, or I should say this week's game against the Los Angeles Rams, I just want to make a real quick comment. I know that the Monday night guys, um, the broadcasting crew gets a, a quite a bit of crap already. Booger McFarland um, is not the best. And I just, I, I wanted to come in defending the guy. Because I, I, I heard, I always hear a lot of stuff against him. And I know I, I've done that job. I've, I've been a color commentator for football. Yeah, I mean high school, but still. It's, it's not an easy job. It's something that, that requires a lot of skill. And it's something that, that McFarland really obviously needs to go and watch Tony Romo. Because I don't have a problem with McFarland. I mean, if he was if he was calling a game that was just like, say, if he was on the San Francisco crew, it's fine. I mean, he's not great, but, it, you know, it's okay. But ESPN's got to figure it out. They've got to get a better guy on the primetime game on their network. He's just not good. He, he's not terrible, but he's not good. I mean... You know, Tony Romo, when a play happens, you know, he, he doesn't just say, wow, I love what Chubb just did because he got to the quarterback. It's like, yeah, well, no crap he did. We just saw it. Tony Romo says, you know how that works? Because he, you know, he got a step on the on the count and he ran this YZX formation that he learned last week from Von Miller. That's that Tony Romo is a good analyst because he tells us, how that happened, why it happened, what what led to that happening. McFarland is just like, I love that play because it happened. It's like, yeah, well, <laughs> okay. I mean, and he's never negative, ever. He's never negative. And he, was, he wasn't even negative for the interception by Garoppolo, which was a terrible throw. And, and he's like, yeah, that was a good decision by Garoppolo. It's like, no, it wasn't. That was a terrible decision by Garoppolo. I mean, it was a, it was a bad throw. It was a bad read. And it was a bad everything by Garoppolo. It's like, come on, dude. And again, if he's just calling games for 49ers, fine. But ESPN has got to figure something out. I don't know if he must be under contract for a couple years or something. Because I think Tezzatore is, I think he's fine. He, he's a decent, not a great, but he's a decent. He, he's nowhere in the same universe as Mike Tirico, but not many people are. Um, but he's he's solid. He's okay. But McFarlane, just put him on a, on a team or something, you know, a, a team's broadcast. Get him off the primetime Monday night podcast he's just not good enough okay enough of that that's my rant for the day um what are we looking for next week and this is a really interesting question because it's week three but again it's coming off a really short rest they just played um monday and now they play again saturday night so are we really going to see the starters all that much i'm not sure i mean that that's that's a really short turnaround and the last thing you want in preseason week three is to suffer injuries and injuries typically happen when guys haven't rested enough and yeah I don't know I'll, I'll be really curious I don't even know what I want I I, I almost would rather see maybe like a, a quarter from Flacco and then a couple from from Locke if he's not too hurt um Locke he, he kind of injured he banged up his thumb but he seems to think it's just a jammed thumb like you suffer like like you suffer in basketball or something when it, it pushes your thumb back a bit um, so maybe a small sprain. So hopefully, really, hopefully he'll be able to play because Kevin Hogan looks brutal. Um, other than that, yeah, what, what do we want to see from week three? I, I would say really a continuation of everything that we've seen. We want to see more of Locke. We want to see Locke get more comfortable. But really, this is the, this is the you know, the dress rehearsal. So we want to see the starting offense look fluid. I would love to see them score in the red zone. I mean, I want to see Flacco look comfortable in the offense, which I think he's, he really starts to look. And I would love to see some explosive plays. 
They've got to make some explosive plays. They've got to to ramp that up and, and, and do something cool. You know, not just because it looks good, but because this team's going to need it. They're really going to need it. They're, they're, this defense is a defense that would be really much better if they're playing with the lead. Now, I think they can also be really good if they're not playing with the lead. But if they play with the lead, if the Broncos can somehow come out, especially in the first drive of games, and score... Watch out. I mean, this team's going to be tough and really tough. I mean, I truly, if they can figure that out, if they can figure out a good enough scheme to to write some plays that are going to get you at least a field goal on every single opening drive, this team could go to the playoffs. I believe that. I really do. The defense is good enough. The offense just needs to figure it out enough. They don't have to be great. But if you start with a lead, even a small lead, then they, they could really put the fear into some of these teams. Remember... This team was really close against Kansas City and San Diego and a couple other good teams last year. So imagine this year with more talent and a much better coaching staff. So I think that there is some hope there. Um, so yeah, more explosive plays, better red zone, and a fluid offense. On defense, honestly, I don't need to see anything. I I, I think they can rest their starters. I, they looked so good. They looked so prepared. They looked so fired up. I, I mean, it would be great to watch. I, I would like to see them start, but after such a short week, I think I might rest them. I think I might rest them. I, I don't know if I would even play Chubb or Miller or, or Harris Jr. or anybody. They don't look like they really need it. I think they look like they understand what they're doing, and if not, you can keep practicing it. Keep these guys healthy. I, I want to see a little more from the offense. The defense, I'm good. I'm good, you know? Sit these guys. Keep them healthy. Week one, you go in with a with a full squad on defense, and that's that's what they're going to have to have if they want to win. And against the Raiders, I mean, the Raiders are also a pretty good team. I don't think they're a great team, but they're improved, and I think they're going to have a pretty good offense. I think you're going to see Carr's going to be better. Obviously, they've got Antonio Brown. Maybe they've got Antonio Brown. Um, and so the defense is going to have to be something good or special to win the opening game against Oakland. So stay healthy. Stay healthy. Don't even put him out. I'm I'm cool with that. And I think I imagine most of Broncos fans would be not not because obviously for our viewing pleasure, we would much rather see them, but most importantly, they've got to stay on the field for week 1. Okay, now we're going to talk a little bit about the stories around the NFL. Obviously, as always, Antonio Brown is in the mix. Um you know, just creating a stink and and not showing up to, to Raiders camp because of the whole helmet issue because the NFL says that his helmet isn't regulation and so he can't play with the one he wants to play with and so he's being a little baby about it, unlike all of the other players in the entire league that just accepted it and said, okay, I don't like it, but I will do it. Brown is being a poop and he's being exactly what everyone else thought he would probably be because that's who he is. He's a diva who thinks he's bigger and better than the team. We've talked about this before. These guys, they don't, how do I say this? Is it worth having an extremely talented player if they're that much of a headache? And I guarantee you the Raiders are wondering that same exact thing right now. And for a while there, they're, they're, they're kissing his butt and just saying, oh yeah, ooh, Brown, we, we are with you. We'll, we'll hold your hand and kiss your cheek and do everything you want. And now the um, the GM, the Oakland GM, oh, geez. I can't think of his name. Um, 
the the Oakland GM just came out and and just like he came over to the media in at the Oakland practice and just said, "Yep, we don't really like what what Brown is doing, and he neither he either needs to be in or out." And it's like, what what are you doing? Why go and and publicly announce that? And, and this is a guy. I can't think of his name, but he was, he was an ESPN analyst and, and Josh, John Gruden too. So you have two guys who are really kind of dramatic. You see why this team is on hard knocks. It's like, wh- what's the point? I mean, first of all, yeah, I get it that the GM should probably take a stand and say, okay, Brown, dude, you're on the team. You're signed. You got to play. I don't care if you like the helmet or not. You got to be here. But that, why does it have to be broadcast to the media? Why, is that the only way you communicate with Antonio Brown? You go and tell the media that I'm not happy with my player. It's like it's so Oakland, right? I mean, every like everything they do is just ridiculous. I mean, I, John Gruden comes out and he defends Antonio Brown, and then a week later, the GM comes out and and totally bashes him. And it's like, okay, what? First of all, Antonio Brown is enough of a of a jackwad that it's like, okay, I mean, is he going to? What's he going to say? He's probably more upset now, so he probably doesn't have a good relationship with the GM. So that's a great start. So it's like, what what are you trying to accomplish here? Especially doing it through the media. It's just dumb. I mean, it's just like it's it's again, it's it's totally an Oakland thing to do. And yeah, well, Oakland's going to get what they deserve after signing him, and and they didn't actually pay that much to get him a third and a fifth rounder, which is pretty amazing considering he's really probably the most talented wide receiver in football. But you see why? You see why? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to have these headaches on your team? The same question goes for for Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas. He always has off the field issues, and now he's he's holding out with a year left on his contract because he wants more money. Now, do I blame him for wanting more money? No, that that's fine. I mean, these guys usually don't last very long in the league, and he's one of the best running backs in football. So that you know that's his his prerogative, I suppose. Now, if I'm Dallas. Do I really re-sign him to a big contract? He's a running back who could get hurt in one play. He could have one more good season and then be done. As we know, the the average, I think, shelf life for a running back is two and a half years in the NFL. So you really want to risk it on a guy who, you know, is again, he, he's he's not a mature dude. He's not a guy who's going to bring a positive aspect to your locker room. And he never has. He's a very talented player, extremely talented running back, maybe even a difference maker on your team, but is it worth it? Is it worth it? The drama in in a locker room, it means something. Has Dallas been successful in the last few years? You know what team's always successful? They're always in the Super Bowl, and they usually win it? The New England Patriots. And you know who doesn't typically eh, have cancers in the locker room or doesn't allow this to happen the new england patriots maybe they bring in guys who've had you know maybe smoked marijuana or something like josh gordon who is back and reinstated by the way but typically you never hear about them having guys who don't show up guys who 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 hold out that doesn't happen up there they just don't allow it they're like okay you're asking too much money we'll cut you bye peace go join another team that sucks that's who they are. I hate it. Of course I hate it. I'm a Broncos fan. But you know what? It works. It freaking works. And they do it over and over and over. And they show that they're better at it than anyone else. And that's what you have to do sometimes. You got to cut bait. Yeah, Zeke's talented. Yeah, Antonio Brown's talented. You know what? Bye. See you later. Go have fun on another team. Go make some money somewhere else. Maybe we won't be so talented, but you know what? We're going to be more of a team 
less of an eye. Melvin Gordon also in San Diego, or San Diego, geez, come on, Kevin, it's been a year. L.A., the L.A. charge for the L.A. Chargers, the starting running back, is also holding out. Another guy that I understand, he wants more money, and, and he's afraid that, yeah, you know, running backs, they don't get paid enough, and they have this really light-loaded paycheck for the, the rookies these days. And so he's like, yeah, you know, I don't want to risk getting hurt and, you know, breaking my, you know, leg or something and not having been paid. Makes sense. I don't think that's a locker room issue. I've never heard of Gordon really being too much of a problem, but that is a problem for teams. And so it's it's really coming to the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And, you know, likely the Broncos will face it in, in a couple of years. Is it worth it to pay these guys? Is it worth it to pay Philip Lindsay? We'll see. Now, Phil Blinsey, I think, is definitely a good character guy, which is a plus. It's a benefit. It matters. It absolutely matters. Look who always wins. New England. And they don't handle with this crap. You know, <laughs> you know Pittsburgh, they probably should have won four or five titles with the talent they had. They had Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Juju Smith-Schuster. James Conner was their backup running back. They had Emmanuel Sanders up there for a bit. I mean, that was a freakishly talented team. And they won, okay, I guess technically two Super Bowls. Though really, the, the first Super Bowl was, was more just Big Ben and and uh, the bus. Yeah, I don't know. Weird drama. Always drama in the NFL. I'm just glad it's not with the Denver Broncos. There's not a whole lot of drama in this team. And you know why? I think Vic Fangio wouldn't deal with it. I really believe that. I think Fangio is just not going to hear it. He's just going to be like, yeah, no. You know what? You're going to be drama. Bye. Peace. Go find another team. And that's something we should appreciate. We should appreciate that after this third preseason game for the Denver Broncos, that the, the biggest issue we're having is with special teams in depth. That's a good... If that's the biggest problem, we're doing okay. Our, our starting quarterback looked decent. Our backup young guy looked decent. The wide receivers looked better. We should feel good. We should feel good. Not great, but we should feel good. This team's stepping in the right direction, and each week they've done so, and that's what we have to look for. This is a step-forward type of a season, a baby steps type season. This is a season where, like Vic Pangio says, no more death by inches, no more little issues. And if a guy like Garrett Bowles is going to continually hold on plays that don't need to hold guys, then he's got to go because that is death by inches. That's the... That's the epitome of death by inches. And hopefully, Bowles, the offensive line, and the Broncos figured that out. And hopefully, in the third preseason game, the Broncos look smooth on offense and healthy on defense. We'll talk to you all next week. Go Broncos. Go beat them, LA Rams. Peace.